1: And now we're joined by Malin Newton of the Educational Seminars Institute at the Tools Conference 2022. Malin, throw your headphones on so you can hear yourself.
2: I don't want to hear myself.
1: I know, right? I want to know where you got that Diet Coke. That's what I want to know.
2: The um, speakers, I'm sorry, the hospitality suite. Oh, right. 2235. Go up all the, the stairs. Up yeah couple of doors down it's on the left
0: hmm. very nice mm-hmm. what do you think
2: what do i think you don't really want it
1: <laughs> i know right? i'm, I'm telling you <laughs> so the shop owner opens his shop he's four months in and he cannot get customers to show up for their appointments and he's he's freaking out he goes these people are ghosting me he goes i'm doing a great job of getting the appointment i set the appointment in in the books they never show What advice would you give them?
2: Well, when you set the appointment, you got to make sure you get their phone number to either text or call them. And just like the dentist, you have to let them know that they have an appointment. So the day before, at a minimum, you need to contact them. And the biggest problem you have is most people, depending on how far out you're booking their appointments, and if it's not service work, they're going to find somebody to do it faster.
0: Right, yeah.
2: And so that would be something I would look at, is what are we booking out for? If it's repair work, they're never going to make the appointment. Yeah. And if it's service work, it's a matter of constantly reminding them, yeah. you know, just like the dentist. So um, I find that most shops don't ask for phone numbers, and they don't ask, can I text you or call you? They don't get permission to do that or email them. So they set the appointments and kind of hope the customer keeps it, and that's not going to be the case.
0: Yeah, well, you know, we've talked a lot about this, right? Because one of the one of the issues that that we kind of come across in our industry is that that there's either the yes shops who say yes to everybody. We'll figure it out after we get them in the door. Or there's the shops who are scheduling Semi accordingly, right. right? Now the thing is, is you've got to you've got to overschedule a touch because if you have a no show, if you if you don't overschedule a touch, you're going to be in a situation where you don't have enough work, right? And but so you just, balancing, you just said though,
1: like if if you've got a car that's overheating, you're not waiting. Well, absolutely. It's and know like, oh, we're three weeks out. I'll see you in three weeks. It's like what? well, and that's what that's
0: the point I was getting ready to make is that a lot of shops right now are saying they're two and three weeks out. Now, me personally, I'm I'm running two weeks but there's a reason for that is that we're move. we should be starting to move in next week right so i'm trying to prepare for the move to where i know i'm gonna have substantially more capacity than i have right now i know i'm gonna run out of work but so i I guess my question is is what do you say to the shop that's can you know always out three weeks right i mean
2: it's here's our problem in our industry is we feel that every car with wheels we should work on Right. So the guy who's booked out three weeks, we need to look at what was booked out and the kind of customer they are. Okay. And, you know, my driving force right now is to talk to the shops about lower car count, higher average repair order to alleviate that. Okay. You know, it used to be back in the old days when I was a technician, it was a bragging point. I'm right. three weeks out. Yeah. It still is. It is. It, it right. still is. But nobody waits. Nobody waits. You know, it's like right. when you don't feel good. <laughs> And yeah. you call the doctor and says, I'll see you in a month.
1: Right.
0: I right. don't feel good now. <laughs> right. And it's, <laughs> not, the,
2: it's the same thing with the cars, right? Right. So it's controlling the car count, you know, of, of limiting the years you work on or the makes and models. And one of the things I tell people is just because they called you on the phone and they have an emergency doesn't mean you have to take it in. Right. If they're good customers, you know, been coming to you for 10 years, we want to accommodate them. And the other thing is... The idea of booking appointments is I put them in a book, right? Yeah. But if I have a drivability person, then I'm going to control the drivability complaints I take in every day. So figuring, let, let's just use round numbers, it's two hours per car. Right. I have one guy to do it. How many cars can I book for drivability today? Yeah. You know, yeah. basically four. Yeah. And that's if they're efficient, right? Or if I have a brake guy who's really efficient, I can book, you know, eight brake jobs for him maybe. Right, And instead of just booking cars, book jobs for technicians.
0: Right. Well, and and so that's what we do in my shop, right? We use something we call parking lot scheduling. And so the way it works for us is that I have a certain – I use my average hour per repair order, right? And I know that Ryan is, is running a lower average repair order. Uh, as far as hours go. So I put more on him. I've got my guys who are doing you know, very heavy line or high-end diagnostic work. And so I know that I need to put less on them. In my shop, typically what we get is Ryan gets five jobs a day. The other techs, because Ryan's the GS, the other techs are typically getting between two and three a day. And then so the way it plays out is that day, they'll evaluate those vehicles first, right and then they move to the repair work and as they're doing the repair work we're getting approval on the other work and we're setting the expectation of when they can expect that car to be repaired when does the part arrive right and so we're setting expectations through it and so in some ways that can drive our schedule out but i mean that's just because we have very limited capacity right
1: i wonder the these shops that are saying that they're two to three weeks out or whatever are they counting cars and strictly cars i you know so so along those same lines I
0: what I wonder most is are they truly being productive right it's one thing to say that you're out 3 weeks but if you're billing 4 hours a day and you're out 3 weeks that's a whole different ball yeah, game that,
1: that's I mean it's it's normally a capacity problem but they're counting if they're counting cars like they're doing it all wrong because it's different like we will typically run a week out on build work like build hours yeah. if, if you calculate out how many hours my guy is average and you see what we have sold i have four techs yeah. then i've got i w- i'm a week out exactly but do i tell a customer that's calling me telling me they're overheating that i'm a week out before i'm gonna look at their car no absolutely not like i will look at it today if it's in the morning like first thing lucas and i have been telling you about parts tech for a while now Click the link in the show notes to get started. In the morning, like you bring it in this morning, I will look at it today. I don't. I never told I'm going to fix but, it. But see, if if I do that, right? Like right now, we we've worked our way back
0: down. We were 42 cars on site last week, right? In three bays, mm-hmm. and so we had ninety two thousand dollars of sold work sitting at the shop, 194 hours, something like that. Okay. And so we were we were 194 sit- hours is what two weeks. For your guys, yeah, roughly. And so you see what I'm saying though is like here I am, I've got all this piled up on me. If I say yes to more people, all I'm gonna do is gonna piss them off, right? Because piss it, who off. I'm gonna piss the client off? There's no because either either I'm taking them in and doing work on their car. Now in some cases, like I can get some cars on Ryan, and I can get Ryan through more work. But if I take more cars on, I'm gonna piss the new client off because
1: it's either pissing the new client off or pissing the old client off because somebody has to get bumped down the line. Somebody doesn't need to get bumped. The person that that gets bumped first is the person in the loader vehicle. They've got something to drive. It's not uh, their car. They, but they don't always got, take it that way. I understand they don't take it that way, but that's how it is.
2: <laughs> well, and, and you know, you guys both have brought up good points. <clears throat> Productivity is a huge problem in our industry. We have you know people with Vortex and they're producing two techs worth of work right and right. it's not the technicians either it's the office it's absolutely part availability yeah. it's the service writers um it's the parking lot sometimes you know, you have as many cars as you were just talking about yeah
0: it takes Moving four, cars four, around. four yeah. people to move cars
1: yeah
2: so you know having those cars there is security for us as owners it's a pain in the butt for the technicians because we have so much to do to get right. on the racks and stuff y- you in, in my opinion, you know, you, you can't look at car count. You have to look at hours. Yeah. What do I have available? What can I bring in? And you got to have really strong communication with everybody in the shop. Right. I, I call it setting short time-based goals. So everything that leaves the office and goes to a technician needs to have a goal attached to it of when I either need it checked out or I need right. it finished. Right. And, you know, one of the things I used to do was I would sit down every morning at A few minutes before eight when the crew showed up and i'd say here's what i've got left over from yesterday here's what i promised today here's the appointments we have coming in here's what i expect to happen today right so i set expectations first thing in the morning and we had that same conversation at noon when everybody came back from lunch actually one o'clock this is what i sold these parts are here this car has to leave today
1: right i really i love that
2: yeah and
0: i I mean that's what we do in our shop
1: i don't i don't i don't do that that,
0: that's to the t you know the sheet I sent, i've sent you in the past where my workflow for the day you never or sent
1: that to me well i'll send it to you but we, that's what you've said several times i think it's some, some weird secret that you don't want to share it with anybody no I'll oh send you're it gonna to send, you. send it right now i'm gonna send it right i don't have internet right I now think so the, now i can't send it i think we get like the my service advisor gets frustrated with my tax my texts are just doing you know what they do they don't know the 17 cars back there that we promised, and one of them is one car that I promised today because they have to get their kid picked up by 4.30, and therefore, you know, they've got all this. He's he's holding on to that. That's the weight he holds on to on his shoulders. And then his reaction sometimes, the technicians not showing a sense of urgency or whatever, right? Just little annoyances, like they took a little too long in the bathroom, or yeah, he's taking a little too long to click off the stuff that he's finished on that car, whatever it happens to be. He's all, he's thinking about all those, those other factors. They don't know anything about it. And so I think just communicating the, this is, we've got these four cars in from inspection. These cars still need diagnostic work. This is what's been promised today so far. Then back at launch, same thing. Hey, I, these cars have to go today. Just so everybody's on the same page. Right. I like that. Yeah. And you do that exactly. To the, to the, yeah. Did you yep. learn it from Layla? I uh, learned it from Malin and I learned it from
0: Rick. I learned it from both of
2: them. One of the things that I find in most shops is exactly what you're talking about. The service writer has made promises and he hasn't shared those promises with anybody. Yeah. And here's something else that happens that nobody thinks about is I've heard service writers go, ah, you know, we're kind of slow. And they're thinking car count
0: yeah. when
2: we have a hundred hours to do. Yeah. And when the service writer says we're slow, what do the technicians think?
1: Oh, I can take my time. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and that
2: sense of urgency is gone. And yeah. so we have to control that sense of urgency throughout the, the entire mentality
1: day. in the shop. Yeah, right.
2: The
0: morale in the shop. We
2: are never yeah. slow. You know, if you think about it, are you really ever slow? No. There's always something to do. Yeah. Yeah. And and if you think about it, if you have four guys, four technicians, and you're doing two people's worth of work, where are all those other hours going?
0: Yeah. Well, and, and so, you know, this brings up another topic. I, I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine uh, over the last couple of days, and, and he's, it's been a, a roller coaster ride with him over the past couple of months because he goes from, they're going to improve their shop, things are going to get better, to I'm frustrated because it's not happening, nothing's changing, to my owner has unrealistic expectations. And this it's it's a constant up and down. Right. And so this is a very, very productive tech. This is a tech that's turning 16 to 18 hours a day, most days, right? Builds tons of hours. And so the owner has come to expect that. And I've, I've shared with him, I said, look, you can't just do, 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 and not go to the owner and say, hey, I'm unable to continue this. Right. And I'll use the same example I've used before the, the plane that crashed in the Hudson. Right. What did he say? Right before he crashed the plane into the Hudson, he said, I'm unable. The air traffic controllers all around him were saying, like, hey, you want to go here? You want to go there? You want to go here? And what did he say? He said, I'm unable. And and my point in saying that is this, is that had he tried to land at any airport, he wouldn't have just killed the people on the plane. He would have killed the people on the ground. It could have been hundreds, could have been thousands of people who died, right? Because he listened to someone else say, hey, do this, but he knew he couldn't do it, Right. It's his job as a professional to set the expectation. That's his job. Well,
2: you're 100% correct, and it boils back to the C word. You said he's a professional. We need to be professionals and have good communication. Yeah. That is, in my opinion, is one of the biggest breakdowns in our industry.
0: Well, I mean, yeah. in, in this case, right? So, And in, in the, the thing he was upset about the other day. You know who I'm talking about. The, the thing he was upset about the other day is he, he said, look, he said, here's the deal. He said, I've I've turned 14 hours today. He said, it is five o'clock or it's 10 minutes to five. And he said, the owner comes in and says, Hey, I just need you to run out and scan this car real quick. He's like, man, he's like, I've killed myself. He's like, I am exhausted. I am soaking wet. You know, I have worked my tail off. I'm filthy. I want to clean my tools up and I want to go home. I want to go relax a little bit. And he brings me this car. And he's like, no, no, you've got to do this. You have to do this because I want to order parts. I want to have this in here. He's like, we've got four weeks worth of work. He's like, we don't even have anywhere to put cars. And he's taking on cars, and he's putting all these cars in the bay. And he's like, you know, he's coming to me. and said, you know, he brings me four jobs. And, and this happened yesterday after the whole deal of, of the 5 o'clock. You know, can you just go scan it real quick for me? And, and what he means is in talking to him, he doesn't just want it scanned. He wants He wants a Diag completed. Mm-hmm. Right. In and his minutes. way of saying it is is yeah. Diag. And, and he's a good tech. So he's able to usually do most of them that fast. But so then yesterday he comes in. He's like, man, they they handed me four tickets. They hand me four tickets at three o'clock. He said there's 15 hours on those four tickets. And they're like, here you go. And he's like, "What? I mean, do you where are these supposed to be done? Well, we promised them today. Do, <laughs> do your best right and he's like it ain't happening well
2: that's one of our issues right you said the word expectations unrealistic expectations the other thing is is if they really track their comebacks they're going to see a spike in comebacks when they do that to that technician i don't care how good he is right. something's going to get overlooked yeah. misdiagnosis incorrect diagnosis and it all boils down to the owner doesn't understand his numbers.
0: I agree. I so agree. he
2: cannot set realistic expectations. Right. And I, I, I'll bet you dollars to donuts, Lucas, that that guy is strapped for cash.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And that's why he's pushing so hard. He needs cash flow.
0: Yeah. Well, we, we've talked about that, right? Because we've talked about the fact that that you know this this person has been in the shop from the very beginning right? So they basically started the shop together. He was the tech, the owner was the owner, right? And he points out that, Hey, you know, I, I don't know a lot about the numbers. Will you help me start working through the numbers? And we start looking, we find out that, Hey, your average hours per repair order are about 1.3 right now, right? You're running 200 cars a month in, in a fairly small shop, or maybe it's more than that. Maybe it was 500 cars a month, something to that, to that tune. But I mean, I mean, every ticket's only like 175 dollars $200. And so they're you know they have the occasional big job. He gets all the big jobs, but nobody else is checking the cars. Nobody else is recommending anything on the cars. The hours for repair order are really low and the owner's killing himself, right? And 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 it was neat to hear this because the dude's not left the shop yet. Because he feels like the owner's killing himself. He's like, I don't want to abandon him. I see him killing himself. I see him going crazy. I see him freaking out. I see him like just absolutely giving everything he's got. But he's like, man, he's like he's on the phone constantly and he's writing repair orders constantly. He's coming in at 5 a.m. He's leaving at 7 pm. and it's him and one other guy and they're writing a hundred repair orders a week. He's like, it's just crazy. I just don't they can't keep it up. They can't do this forever, you know? They will, until somebody has
1: a heart attack or something. Right. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, and those are, the, those are the problems that we have is we think it's about fixing cars,
1: you yeah. know,
2: car count. Yeah. It, it's about maximizing the cars that we have and the right cars that we have. And right. if you think about it, if we took that shop doing 200 cars a week and we cut it in half, double the average repair order, cut it in half, same money. Yeah. Stress load drops for everybody, less parts issues, less telephone calls. And what our customers are actually happier because we can spend more time with them at the service counter. Right, We can deliver the car and give them the value. And and that's a really hard thing to get most of these people to understand. It, right. it is not car count. It's average repair order.
1: We We say that so much, like in the groups, you would think everybody would just understand it i just don't understand it i mean it's a math game at the end of the day it's like what if we triple your aro and we cut your car count by a third isn't it the same dollar amount yeah okay so what's the problem it's like i i I, the hardest part is getting the car in the door Mm -hmm. but tripling the aro is not that difficult oh it's easy well i want you guys to think about something talk i wouldn't call it easy dear
2: well yeah in theory it is you know, the problem it's is easier
1: than getting the car in the door. Correct.
2: But here's our problem is most of us, we don't want to do the math. We, we don't like the numbers.
1: Yeah, and, maybe.
2: And I want you to think about something. If, if you raised your average repair order $200, it's really not that much to a customer. It's, it's a bit, but it's not too much. But what would it mean to the business? Oh, it would be huge. It's huge at the end of the year, yeah. right? It's little, little dollars over a long period of time.
1: Well, that's we're, like, I mean, it's a quarter million dollars. Yes, so it'd be more than that in my shop. Yeah, and and that's one of the things. 000.
2: That's one of the things that I try to do when when we coach people is to say, "Look, this is what you're leaving on the table." Yeah, because we're too busy doing a car for one point two hours. Yeah. You know, and if we if we raise that to two point eight, here's the results.
1: Every single shop I've ever seen run that low ARO or that that low build hour per RO is not doing inspections. No, right? Or the I inspection agree. process well, is is really really superficial. Well, they're, or
2: or they're doing inspections, and the service writer isn't selling anything.
1: I don't know, man. I I've never been in a shop. I'm sure you've been in more shops there, but I've I've never been in a shop where they have a good inspection process the technician is doing the inspection properly and the and the service advisors just ignoring the information it, it's the loose ball joint the bad breaks it's, it's like,
2: not that they're ignoring the information but as a service advisor we we've got those ninety eight thousand dollars worth of work in, in there
1: yeah. right
0: and so i we're
2: say we're not gonna
1: have time to do it anyway i'm
2: not going well, to commit to doing and it so i don't want to bring it up
0: it's so funny because that is exactly what is happening in that shop because he brought that up. He's like, you know, they're saying, well, we don't have time to get that in right now, but we'll get you in a couple months, right? We'll and they get go you in someplace that. else. Exactly. And so they're, you know, somebody else is doing the work and, and you know, I, I man, I sympathize with the owner in this case. And I, I think the tech is picking up on that. I sympathize with him. And, and the reason being is because he's talking about, you know, look, I, he, he's coming to me and he's saying, I need this done. I need you to help me train the new GS techs. I need you to help me do this. I need you to help me do that. And I sympathize for the simple fact that I've been in those shoes. You don't realize how, A, A, he's not he's not seeking the knowledge that fixes it, right? So that's part of the problem. But, B, he is so overworked that he can't see the force for the trees. He can't see that he's burning this tech out. He can't see that he's running his team ragged. He's and just going as hard as he can. He's ragged. So he, he gets this attitude that he expects – others to do as much or as more than what he's doing right now because he's running himself so ragged let me ask you a question how old's the owner don't have a clue i don't know 40s i would think 50s
2: so baby boomer probably okay and his tech is a
1: uh younger probably, guy yeah probably my age well, in the mid, yeah that early, old, early huh? to mid 30s okay so we have a
2: generational problem there too Right? Yeah. Baby boomers live to work. yeah, And the other generations work to live, right? He doesn't want to put 80 hours in. Yeah, And and see, that's the other part of our problem as our average age of shop owners goes up, 54 years old now, is the young people don't want to work the same hours as we do, which right. infuriates us. Yeah. You know, I have a 25-year-old son. He drives me crazy right. because of that. But we have to find a way of working around that and the owner needs somebody to keep him on track he needs an accountability partner
0: but how, i mean how do you do that when the guy is absolutely committed that he doesn't need that he doesn't want that he doesn't believe that right because we talked about coaching Here, here's the we've problem. shared that with him
1: it, it's not even i mean I, I don't know that i would float the idea of a coach because I, I think for if the guy's making money he may not be like overly profitable but if he's He's pulling in 1.2, 1.5 million dollars a year. You walk up to him, it's like, you need some coaching. It's like, I'm running a 1.5 million dollar business I started from the ground up. What are you talking to me about coaching for? He's
0: got three locations. They've got three locations. All of them are like massive locations. Mm -hmm. Right? These are big shops. So, I mean, you're right. I mean, he he is absolutely unwilling to even hear the
1: concept. Here's where he's going to run into a problem though. Here's... This is what he's facing, I, and I see this a lot. Shop owners will, um, how do I word this? They will become complacent about their staff, and for example, what would happen if this employee left tomorrow? Uh, the owner would likely be in some pretty right. I see this all the time. I remember talking to a shop owner, um, uh, they had bought the business and the business, when they bought it, they were expecting it to turn specific numbers. That's how the business was sold and presented to them. And of course the guy had manipulated the numbers mm-hmm. to make it look like this was a moneymaker, the stru- because they didn't know anything about automotive repair, the, the way the business was structured was there was one technician that was doing the money-making work. And then everybody else will support staff. One technician. I see a lot of shops set up that way. Absolutely. I've got a guy, my guy, my guy. It's like, okay, great. What happens when that employee leaves? Well, what, what happens he if he dies? What happens yeah. if he-, he, he gets hurt right. anything? Right. But more often than not, it's not catastrophic. It's the person gets uh, burnt out. They're not yep. getting paid enough. Yep. They're, not, they're getting yep. overworked, overstressed. And what do yep. they do? They find somebody else that will promise them the, the sun, the moon, or the stars, or they leave the industry. Right. And they go work for an HVAC tech or, or a company, or they go become a, a lineman somewhere or whatever. Yeah. They leave the industry, and it was because they got overworked, and they were undercompensated, underappreciated, and the entire business hinged on that production guy. And that production guy leaves, all of a sudden the business falls apart. And they're like, oh, I need to find somebody. So what do they do? They just hire anybody. Right. And in their minds, there's always somebody else to go out there. They haven't maybe faced reality of what the industry looks like as far as help goes. And they haven't structured their business around. And this This is huge for me. I lose a guy. We're just slightly busier than we were yesterday. I do not have a single tech that is holding my entire business up. Yeah, exactly. And I have structured it that way for a specific reason, because I understand it just takes one, one bad afternoon where you piss somebody off or they piss you off or whatever, or anything. Right. And that person's gone. And all of a sudden the business doesn't make any money.
2: All very good points, David. But here's something neither one of us has talked about yet, that guy who's, Got unrealistic expectations. Mm -hmm. Everybody in town knows that, so nobody wants to work for that person. Right. So even if that guy leaves and there's a great tech out there, he goes, "I'm not working for that guy." Yeah,
1: I've seen how they run you. Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
2: And so reputation is huge. Yeah. And you're absolutely correct that you can't have your business hinge on one person, just like you can't have one customer. You can't live off of one-time customers you need repeat customers yeah and it's the same way in the shop and we have to find a way of realistic expectations treating the employees properly not being driven by cash flow
0: yeah I, i remember the days of you know i really remember the days of of uh being dependent on a car dealer right man that is a you know and and i see a lot of shops do that Right, they don't. They want to bring their own parts. They don't want you to charge them anything. They, you know, and a lot of car dealers are the worst. Yeah, and a a lot of shops start out, and that's where they start out. They need to
1: be starved out. Well, (laughs) face planted to the mic. No,
0: (laughs) a headphone planted.
2: (laughs) It's part of we as shops. We need to learn to say no. Yeah. All right, so we need. It's hard to
1: do when you're first starting up, though, and you don't have any cars coming in the door.
2: How many times have you taken a car in because you're slow that's eating your lunch?
1: Oh, yeah, sure. You
2: know, I call them alligators. They bite you on the ass and you drag them around for months, years. Yeah. yeah. And we have to be confident enough in our abilities to not take the bottom
1: feeders, as I call them. Yeah. And they do not even see them as bottom feeders. It was one vehicle, okay? I learned my lesson. <laughs> hey, you'd be proud of me. So we had this uh, Subaru come in. And uh, this customer had gotten upset at us because we were, we, we were busy and he, he, he had an AC problem. We fixed this AC problem. He came back and, and uh, we didn't even fix it. We had filled it, dyed it, and said, hey, when it runs out, because it will, give me a call. We'll get you in. We'll get it checked out. He calls and we say, you got to drop it off. And he's like well, I don't I don't want to drop it off at Remember that? I remember and that. And we're like we're like no no that's not how this works dear. You have to drop off the car because we need time to be able to look at the vehicle. We don't want to get rushed this that, and the other. We give him a thousand excuses. We said we can get you in a loaner. No, no no I want it today. I want it looked at today. It's hot. And well I understand it's hot, but you need to we can get to it today. You have to drop it off though. You can't wait in the lobby. He got upset. He's like you know what? Forget it. He didn't and he and he ended up bumping my five-star review down to four okay fine didn't hear from him for like six months something like that the other day he sets an appointment shows up he goes yeah i've been going to this other shop but i really don't like them uh, i prefer to just come here and I, I understand i have to wait i'll just wait and i said okay <laughs> well he had a misfire on a subaru with two hundred nine thousand miles on it and he had just taken it to shop for plugs and coils right the misfire came back And he goes, they fixed it. It ran great for a while, but now it's back. And I just don't know if they're going to be able to find the problem. I'm like, well, we'll find the problem. By the way, it's probably going to need heads. And he's like, well, what do you mean? like, it's super. It's going to need (laughs) heads. Well, it needed heads. But I'm like, my tech will, will find it. Like, for sure, I'll be able to tell you for sure that it's going to need heads. Well, it needs heads. Now, old David would have said, $4,000, $4,000, I can take the heads off. I can send them to machine shop. They'll stake the, the exhaust valve seats, and right. they'll clean everything up, and we'll slap that sucker back on. Yep. Two hundred nine thousand miles, we'll get it timed. It'll be great. It'll go out the door. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned that <laughs> lesson, buddy. <laughs> now, hey, we can do a long block from from Subaru. It's going to be $11,000, or I can do a low-mileage used engine. But when I get it here, the heads come off. It's going to have 80,000 miles on it, but the heads come off, everything gets cleaned, inspected, and we'll rebuild the entire, just the heads. We're not rebuilding the engine, but we're taking the heads off because that's the thats the problem child on these cars. Right. We'll take the heads off, send them to the machine shop, and we'll slap it back together. We'll put it in the car. It's $7,800 to do that. You decide what you want to do. What do you think? And that's it. Oh, We'll find out on Monday, I guess. I don't know. But I, I'm telling you, like I, t- I absolutely would have slapped heads on that 290,000 miles. Like, Not me. Fine. Not me, buddy. <laughs> well, <laughs> no way.
2: But way back in the beginning, Lucas, you had to pay tuition. You did foolish things. Oh, yeah. And you spent a lot of money fixing those foolish things. And <clears throat> I, used to, I tell people all the time, I used to write a policy and procedure in my shop when it cost me money or pissed me off.
0: Right,
1: right.
2: And so when it cost me money or pissed me off, I'd go... Write something down and say, we, we're not doing this I anymore. I, I don't so, know how
1: many times I've told, like, how do you start a policy manual? I said, <laughs> you write down what pissed you off that day. Yep. Well, what do you mean? I'm like, something has set you off. Something has gone wrong in the shop. Something has made you angry. Something is you're yelling about for the fifth time. But why does nobody pick up this road box that's sitting on the floor or whatever? That's what you write a policy on. Right. Well, and okay. every single day, you write a new policy for something that set you off. And eventually... In about a month or two, you're going to have an entire policy manual. What's so amusing about this is
0: David has a policy. David has a policy that says no older vehicles than said year.
1: And 2000, what, 2000. What does David do? David I, I, overrides yeah. the policy frequently. No, no, not frequently. Not, not frequently. Hey, it, and you do, You would be proud of me. So we took this 97 F-250 in. It, it was an alligator. Just completely decimated me decimated me. I think we're in it for about 4000. Anyway, he, he still wants the guy it every time us, he sits the down. The, <laughs> the guy the guy loves us, by the way cuz I you know gave away $4000 in repairs. Anyway, so he uh he leaves and like the next week we get a lady that calls and she's like, "Hey, I've got this existing customer." She's like, "Hey, I got this 99 Ford F150." And I'm like, "Are you sure it's a 99?" She's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Okay, you can bring it down. I'll take a look at it." It needs a clutch or something like that. Uh, it showed up. It was a 92. It's close. Yeah, it I mean, just, just
0: a few years. Just, just a few it was
1: years. An, well, a 99 that we can probably work on. I'll probably be OK with that. A 92, we're talking.
0: I think I was on the phone when it showed different,
1: up. Completely different everything. Everything is completely straight six, just like it's got a distributor. No, 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 no. And I, I called her and I'm like, listen, dear, I'm sorry. I'd love to work on this car for you. But it is a ninety-two. My crew doesn't work on distributors. <laughs> you need to get what is is out of here. <laughs> what is this? He
0: you know, in the it was very funny because um uh he said I can't remember how it came up, but we're talking about the one that got him so good, the four thousand dollar alligator. And he says, Yeah. He's like, It turns out that there's this gear on the bottom of the distributor and the roll pin had broken. I was like, You didn't check it? He's like, No. I was like, So you didn't like pull the cap off and make sure it was turning when you hit the key? You do that? <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, why would you look to and my and really like this was an experience because my tech had he had actually found the problem because he's he had scoped it. And he had an in-cylinder pressure transducer with a trigger on the ignition. And he's like, why is the the timing of the ignition 20 degrees after top dead center? And I go, what? He's like, it's (laughs) 20 degrees after top dead center. And I go, I don't think it can adjust it that far out. There's something wrong there. (laughs) He's like... I don't know what it is, but there's something wrong.
2: Well, you know, you young whippersnappers, <laughs> that was a big problem with Fords. Sure yeah.
0: Yeah, it was.
2: And, and you know, that's where the generations come in, too. You know, if you're not yeah. used to working on that vehicle distributors, yeah. right? <clears throat> I remember, this how old I am, when HEI came out. You know what the fix for HEI was? Get rid they of throw it. Throw it away and put a point signature <laughs> distributor in there because nobody could diagnose it. Right. Right. <clears throat> And that just reinforces the idea of we don't need to work on everything.
0: Yeah. We need to work on what we're
2: good at and what makes us money. You know, I call it the sweet spot. What are the sweet spot cars that we work on? And Mm -hmm. why are we trying to fix everything on the highway? And why are we trying to fix cars for people who don't want to invest money in them? Yeah, right. Right? Yeah. And and to me, a, a diagnostic charge, an inspection fee... Is a qualifier.
0: Amen. If, Amen. If they don't want to yep.
2: pay you to inspect it, they're not going to pay you to fix it. Right. And and we yeah. we we need to, as an industry, stop trying to accommodate every person with a car. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about improving or industry, right? We've talked a lot about that, and, and it's something that's come up over and over again. And there's there's lots of things we can do, but I think that's one of the keys is that we have got to start setting proper expectations with the consumer, right? And and so if you want the Ruth Chris's Steakhouse Steak, you're not going to get it at McDonald's, right? It's not going to happen. And you're not going to come into my shop and get my skill of technician. You're not going to get the quality and the amenities that we provide. You're not going to get your car washed for the Jiffy Lube price. That's not going to happen. Jiffy Lube charges a lot, dear. Yes. Well, but I mean, you, you kind of get my drift though. You're I not your going to.
1: I I think the the bigger issue though is is at the very least the base level needs to be set. And I think that's that's where we run into the the analogy't does doesn't work because the there are some people that buy McDonald's, some people that buy Ruth Chris, okay, great. You can be the Ruth Chris all you want. but if the person going to McDonald's and Ruth Chris thinks that a steak is steak exactly beef, well, is that's beef. Where I was it going. doesn't matter right. that's where I was. it's going all the same. They don't understand that, no, no, dear, the Ruth's Chris steak is so much better because they don't, they don't see well, it, the cow. They don't see the cut of meat. You know, it all tastes the same to them at the end of the day. And so, you know, you have those, those repair shops that are dealing use dealers. Um, there was a couple down in Alabama, nice people. Um, the guy, I mean, he was going broke. And he was trying to feed his family from the shop the the revenue that he was making at the shop and he was like he was going broke he didn't 500 bucks in the account and that's in his personal and business account like he didn't have any money and you ask him like well, what car are you working on it's like oh they, this these three or four used car lots bring me all their cars and they, they bring you their parts don't they yeah they bring me their parts and okay he couldn't he hadn't developed any phone skills like and so advertising becomes an issue and by the way the reason why you say yes to everything is because you're spending a ridiculous amount of money on on uh advertising so it becomes a yes to everybody except anything older than 2000 (laughs) sort (laughs) of sort of it's a sort of yes but mostly yes mostly yes
0: well i mean and and i'm not disagreeing with that but my point is is like right now i'm spending a fortune on advertising because i know i'm getting ready to expand i know i'm going to need more volume yeah But if I say yes to everyone that's calling, I mean, dude, we get 70 calls a day. If I say yes to every person that
1: calls. But, you know, I I think it is important to put some qualifier in there because if it is older than 99, I get calls from like, hey, I need my 74 Monte Carlo rewired. It's like, dude, I don't rewire 74 Monte Carlos. That's restoration work. I don't do that. We get body shop calls and you try to like move around your keywords or whatever and And the other thing too, is I'm happy to check that check engine light for you. We will scan the car for free. However, after we've scanned it, we're going to come up with a testing protocol. Testing starts at X amount of dollars. goes all the way up to this in that price range. There's usually where it falls. 80% of the time we find the problem in that price range. Would you like to proceed? Would you, yeah. If they say, no, you're gonna charge me how much just to do what that Surprisingly, it only happens maybe 20% of the time. Yeah, The rest of the time, again, the key is the confidence in how you say yeah. it. This, yeah. is, how, this yeah. is how it's going to go. I'm just letting you know now. I don't want you to show up thinking that I'm going to oh, shop down the street, diagnose it for free. Do you roll it into the repair? No, no. This is a completely well, different function. Yeah.
2: And, and see, that's part of the problem with our industry. And this is the change that we need to campaign for. Is we got to get all of these shops that are rolling that into the repair to so stop and and doing yeah. these mega diagnoses with the free check engine light because there's no value.
0: Well, and I mean they they're taking advantage of the technician
1: too. Absolutely. Right? They're taking advantage of the technician. And, and so Even if they're not though, remember what Cody said? They would actually they would show up. There'd be four different codes, four different testing protocols, unrelated to each other, right? He would do the diagnosis. They would actually pill pay him for the four hours of diagnosis, and then they would discount three of it. And then the customer only saw that $120 diagnostic fee, and that's yeah. it. They didn't realize that that, that, that the technician just spent half a day diagnosing right. your car. Well, and, and so that that kills the value. And and
0: man, there's so many aspects of this on the other side of it. And I, I, was, I was interviewed by Wired Magazine the other day, and she did not publish the part where I said like, I didn't think that most shops should be working on some of the modern cars, right? Because it was a, a question about ADOS, right? I'm like, hey, some of these, like, she said, well, is it making it more difficult to work on cars? And I said, listen, a lot of the shops that are working on these cars should not be working on these cars. Let's be real about it. I mean, they really should not. Right. And, and I think it causes safety issues. And, and just because we don't see it yet doesn't mean that they aren't there. So I, I think across the board, like, I don't think the consumer understands
1: how serious
0: this really is. I don't think they
1: understand we need to have a baseline yeah. level of competency of business acumen something yeah. because like used cars if the if the used car dealer if you all of a sudden at your shop say hey you can't bring your own parts it's a retail price yep you're going to be scheduled in like everybody else if you don't take my recommended repair i'm not patching it it's going to be a full repair or nothing if you set your foot down, what are they going to do? They're going to dip out. They're going to dip out, and him. they're going to find the guy that just opened up, and he's, I'm going to run this guy ragged right. until he tells me to, to flip and, off. And
0: that the, you are their profit margin. That's what I don't think shops understand, is that you are the profit margin. They are taking your repair, and the cheaper you will do it, you are increasing their profit margin. But yep. guess who takes the liability? I've learned this lesson. It's not the car dealer. It, it's many years ago we did some work for a
2: used car dealer i mean everybody in the business is done it right yeah yeah and we checked the cars out they went and improve everything they'd sell the cars and then the customer started showing up at my counter saying you repaired this yeah and we look at him go no they didn't have us repair that well they said you repaired this Yep. so i went over and told the guy your service department's needs to take care of this because i did what you asked me to do maintenance inspection oil change smog check told you what needed you wanted me to do one you know the rear brakes on it not the oil leak not this not this not this and they were blaming us for it now my reputation's taken a hit yeah
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and And, they absolutely will give it any chance but
2: but here is the kicker this goes back to numbers right? right so i started out just like everybody else right i had to learn things I sat down and put pen to paper to this. We were doing $30,000 a month in sales with Mm them, But it was costing me $29,000 to do it. (laughs) Right. Because I would take the entire crew, six people, to deliver cars and pick up cars.
1: Oh, yeah. Christmas
2: Eve, we're delivering cars because they want them for the weekend, you know, the Christmas weekend. So I got six people shuffling cars. Who am I billing for that? Yeah. And and I'll be the first one to raise my hand and go, what a dumbass. But. I saw the volume, and I said oh, I can make money at this. Yeah. And it's like you said a minute ago, you know, the guy's doing a million half dollars. That's irrelevant, yeah, because it's net profit, it's gross profit that matters.
0: Yep, because yep.
2: I know shops that gross profit very well and net profit very well off of very little gross sales.
0: We we got an email a while back from a guy. And he basically said, I'm doing $1.4 million a year, but I am, I don't have any money. It's going broke. Right. Like I'm, I am, I am using my credit card. My credit cards are full and then I'll pay off a little bit just so I can pay the bills and it just never stops. And so that's really what it came down to. And he started looking at his numbers. He said, no, 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 no. I've got this for an effective labor rate. No, that's what your, that's what your system is showing you. But your guys are billing six hours and 12 hours a week. And, and you're saying, well, my effective labor rate's 140. Nah, dude, because they're billing 6 and 12, yet you're building transmissions and you're doing all this and you're not accounting for your labor. You're doing all of this work that's not getting billed for. So it, you, they're really working a lot more than that. You're paying them hourly $25 an hour. Your cost of labor labor is much higher per build hour than you ever thought it was, yeah. right? It came out to something like $67 a build hour or something like that it was way more than that yeah. I and mean, it was crazy but you know he's over here going broke because he doesn't understand how to financially run the business you can make a ton of money you can generate a ton of revenue
1: it doesn't and mean you're, exactly it doesn't mean you're making any of it, it doesn't mean you're keeping any of I, it my point though is that for a guy that's doing that kind of volume it, it is really difficult for them to face reality and realize That hey, you know, this there's you don't know what you're doing, even though you're doing one point five million or two million or three million. He did. He did. But it's rare. It's also just as difficult for the guy that's comfortable. He's doing six or seven hundred thousand dollars a year. He's taking home, you know, fifty thousand dollars a year, and he's comfortable living like that. Drives an old pickup truck, cheap house, not a fancy lifestyle, and you're like so how how do we counter that? Because that yeah. that's that devalues
0: the industry to a degree, right? Yeah, absolutely. If you if you looked at that guy, fifty thousand dollars
2: a year. How many hours is he working? Yeah. Okay, and divide that into fifty, and that gives you an hourly rate. He's making
1: pennies. Twenty bucks an hour, if, yeah.
2: If that, yeah. To be honest with you, if that, right? And you know, not to toot my own horn, but that's something that I try to do is break the numbers down into this is what you're making per hour is it worth the aggravation the stress this is going to kill you yeah and you're doing that for you know twenty dollars an hour and and i have owners this is hilarious in a ironic sense they come to me and go i'm not paying my employees more than i'm making
0: <laughs>
2: okay then you need to make more money because you're not going to get good employees unless right. you pay them well. right
0: dude you're giving yourself a 500 a
1: week paycheck
2: if that sometimes, right? Right.
1: Well, I, I can't say anything. <laughs> I don't want pay paid. myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's not even the thing. The, the, what I, I tried to take the angle of what is the, what's going to happen when you're, you're 60, 65, 70, and you can't, you can't come into the business and work every single day or, you know, at 50, you know, you have a heart attack or whatever. Well, like what happens then?
2: The fallacy is they won't make 60 or 65.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Right, They're going to drop dead before that, unfortunately.
1: yeah.
2: And their families, the legacy of their business is gone. It's business not sellable. It's well, not sellable. It, the, the,
0: the business is a burden now. Absolutely. As opposed to a benefit. The business is a yeah. burden and nobody knows how to handle it, manage it, what to do next, how to save this. And and even if, and I've done this for people, the spouse will call
2: me up and go, Malon, I don't know what to do. And I'll get on a plane and I'll go look at the company and I'll even run the company. And I tell them it's going to take five to ten years to make this sellable. Yeah. Well, they don't want to wait five to ten years.
1: Yeah. Right.
2: And sometimes they can't afford to.
1: Five to ten years of hard work. Hard work. Yeah.
2: And it's like wholesale it, you know, just auction yeah. it off.
0: Yeah, yeah, I saw that happen. Uh, I saw that happen two weeks ago. Right. It got wholesaled. I shared it on my uh, on Facebook. And had had I been in a position, you know, if the shop had been done and we were cash flowing in the new shop, I probably would have tried to go for it. But yeah. you know, the the, it was react- the right price, there was a good price. Yeah, and so the it came with land and everything, right? Land, land the house, and everything, wow. land and everything. Yeah, for, and for pennies, and he had been so cheap. He had been running this shop for you know sixty years, and and the shop was not worth anything, and the 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 staff was aged out to the point that they they couldn't go with the business because anybody who wants to run a repair shop it wasn't going to work and so you know she came to me and we talked and i said look i said you got two options you you can take what you've got right now and can take it and make it worth something but it's going to take time because you've got to be able to start showing net profits you got to show that you're paying rent you got to show that you're paying yourself all those things take time and and there again we talk fallacies well The number of people, we even did a a review of a video that we sat and watched where the guy says in the video, my accountant told me that I should make sure I make as close to zero as possible, right? And I was okay with that. (laughs) Well, but but you know, he was in a growth phase, right? But you understand what I'm saying though, right? From that aspect, like if you want to sell the business, if you want to get a loan, right? Those two things kind of depend on you showing net profit or at least... Cash flow, but
2: well, and you also have to factor in the cash that's never reported. Yeah, and people go, "Well, I took a hundred grand out of the company last <laughs> Where's year. Where's it Can't at? Prove it to me."
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: You know, because that's the value of the business. Anybody wants to buy the ability for it to pay its bills and make money, right? As right. long as
1: well, that, that's if you're putting yourself in that particular position. I, I guess what I'd be if the if the guy was building. Um, multiple streams of revenue through the business in the business around the business whatever he was socking money away into a retirement account he was diversifying where where that money would come from in the in the when when he can't work any longer i'd be okay with him not showing money on the bottom line sure but i don't that's a tenth of a one percent of people you know
2: and that's provable. If you say, "Look, I put this much money in retirement. I did this. I invested in this. Yeah. You know, here here's the core money, and this is what I did with it. Yeah. it's provable income.
1: Yeah,
2: right. In some manner. But when it just vaporizes,
1: yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That? yeah. That's <laughs> I had. A, uh, I knew of a business. I'm going to say where it was, or how I knew him, but he he kept two books. He kept a cash book and a non-cash book in the non-cash book and they were about the same dollar amount wise but if somebody wanted to come in and they wanted to skip out on on some of the fees and costs of the transaction sure they would show up with cash you know all the a lot of the paperwork would vaporize and all of a sudden you know and the the guy was making a good living on paper he was probably taking home thirty thousand dollars a year but he was making way more than that um just kept it on the dl and here's, here's
2: something to think about. I, I am not the sharpest crayon in the box. But when I look at people's P&L, I know they're doing that. Yeah. And, and so I tell them, you know, you're not telling me the whole truth. We've got to be honest with each other if you want my evaluation, right? Yeah. And I said, I want you to think about something. The government spent $15 million on software that does nothing but look for people hiding cash. They're much smarter than I am. If I can tell it off your books, yeah. can't they? Yeah. It may not be for a while but that may come back and bite you down the road. I'm not I'm I don't care what you do in your business. I'm just saying you got to be very smart about this. Yeah. And you know we, we really need to change the entry level person in our industry to where they don't come in and try to be the lowest price person. Yeah. That they come yeah. in and they pay their people well and there's benefits. Yeah. And that their business survives and they could put money in a retirement
0: account. But but so much of that comes back to most of the guys who come in and start a shop were a technician mm-hmm. and they, all of them almost. Right. Ran. They thought that they could do it better. They thought that they could fix it. They thought that the way that you get more clients is charge less than everybody else. They thought, Oh look, he's just taking advantage of such and such. And that's why, you know, and, and I deal with this. So, so I, I started building a new shop. Right. And I got word from some of my vendors and some of my friends like, Hey, the other shops in town don't really care for you. And I'm like, well, why is that? And and I was talking to a close friend of mine who's a part vendor. And he said, look, he said, when I started expanding the parts business, he said, a lot of people, the other parts stores really hated my guts. And he said, they tried to come up with every reason of why I'd been so successful right and he said they were looking for everything it's he's screwing people it's he's taking advantage of people he shouldn't have to advertise if he was doing a good job he wouldn't need to advertise what's the sense in this and that and, right <laughs> you know, the yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and so and and like I, I started hearing that from some of the other people that work for shops well you you must be paying people to leave you reviews you must be this you must be that right and, and so we're talking about it. And I said, you know, he said, a lot of them think because you recommend things on vehicles that you're r- ripping people off. And I said, dude, I said, if I didn't recommend these things, I said, they need to come listen to the process of us making these recommendations because we're not saying you have to do these things. We're saying that, hey, we want you to be prepared for life with this vehicle for six months to a year. We're not saying that this has to be done right now. We're not saying that you're going to die if you pull out in the parking lot with this car. We're trying to educate you. We're trying to act as advocates for you. I, and and that's, that's the big thing. And I know everybody's tired of hearing me harp about this, but I believe we've got to get to the point that we are advocates for the consumer as opposed to mechanics and technicians.
2: 100% agree with you. But here's the thing. Everybody, it's ever been in the repair shop business, had a customer say, ever since you worked on my car, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. 99% of the time, it's because we didn't tell them what to expect these things are going to give you problems. Yeah. So I look at it as I'm protecting my reputation and I'm just gonna tell you what's wrong with your car. Right. You decide what to do with it. Exactly. And if you don't want me to fix it, I won't fix it. But when you break down, don't come back and blame me for it. Absolutely. So it's a matter of kind of protecting our reputation to some degree, right? But here's the most important thing, because I had this happen to me. My daughter went to college, right? Mm -hmm. 1700 miles away from home and dad couldn't take care of her. And she's a smart, intelligent woman, but I'm still dad, right? Right. I went to a repair shop in Colorado, and I said, here's my credit card. Put this on file. My daughter's gonna bring her car to you. Whatever it needs, you call me and tell me about it. I just want a heads up on it. And so through three and a half years, I fixed everything they asked for. I never questioned them. I said, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. Mm -hmm. The last year she was in college, I'm going out to pick her up and bring her home. She's done with college. She goes, Dad, do you want me to get the oil changed in the truck? I said, Absolutely. You know, have them look it over and let's make sure everything's good. We got this 1,700 mile drive. So, they check the car out, just do an oil change to it. I fly in. We unload the dorm room and the sorority house and all the stuff she so accumulated. Loaded it up. We're driving down 20 Interstate 20 there in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At my normal speed, which is about 85 miles an hour, guy pulls over in front of me, hit the brakes kind of hard, and the steering wheel shakes out of my hand. Oh, yeah. So every time I stepped on the brakes all the way home to California, I was pissed.
0: Right. Right? Yeah.
2: I take it to one of my client's shops and I go, here's what happens. They check it out, and they, I happen to be there for the day, and he comes in and goes, Well, we need to do front brakes. The rotors are warped. I said, Okay, replace the water, rotors, put new brake pads on it. I don't want anything. You know, half-assed. Yeah. He goes, but that's not the biggest problem. What do you mean? It needs four tires. All four tires, the wear bars For were sure. very predominant. Yeah. Right? We just drove all the way home. And what was the one thing I asked that shop to do?
0: Make sure it was safe.
2: Take care of my daughter, right?
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
2: And they failed me in the biggest way. And I feel that if we don't inspect cars and we don't tell the customer, we failed them.
0: Amen. That's our job. I agree.
2: Right? And it's not about selling anything. Yeah. Most of your people, you don't have to hard sell. I don't teach hard sales. Right. But I do tell them, this is what's wrong with it. If you want to take care of it, we can. Right. And my job is to make sure their car lasts. And you know, I actually tell people, my job is to make sure your car lasts longer in the car payments. Right. And yep. we do that by inspecting and telling you, you decide what you want to fix. And. That shop failed me in the most basic way, because they didn't listen to me, which was take care of my daughter. Right. And don't you agree that somebody gives you their credit card and says fix everything is a pretty good customer? Absolutely. So we didn't go back into that shop. When she went out and finished the the year, she had a little bit left. And so when we left, I went to the shop. And I introduced myself, because we'd only talked over the telephone. Right. He goes, wow, we haven't seen Sonny's car in quite a while. And I said, let me tell you why. Right. And then he gave me all the excuses of why it wasn't their fault, that they didn't find the tires and the, the right. vibrating brakes and all of this. I said, look, it's an excuse. Somebody didn't do their job. I don't know who it is. I'm just here to tell you that. Right. right. So if they failed me. For failing other people.
0: Yeah. yeah. Right?
2: Yeah, that, but, but that's their mentality.
0: Right. And, and, but here's the problem. Is that those shops that are doing that, right? And I'm surrounded by it. I am absolutely surrounded by it. Those shops, not only do they face tremendous liability, but those are the shops who are telling clients that everybody else is ripping them off. Absolutely. And 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 I hate to hurt feelings, but I'm going to those are the shops who are ripping them off. Absolutely. Those are the shops that are doing this. Those are the shops who are causing the problem. And those are the shops that aren't attending training. Those are the
2: shops that aren't attending not only technical training but the management side of it. Yeah. To where they can become better at what they do. You know, I've done this a very long time, and I learn something new every day. Yeah. Somebody teaches me something that makes me better at what I do. Right. And working the service counter to me is a lot of fun. Right. And I ask for everything. Yeah. And it doesn't hurt my feelings if they go, no. right. But I know that I've done my job and the shop's done their job. And that's the, the misinformation by given by these people that aren't doing the correct things, the value things, right, damage our industry. But here's our problem, is our industry as independent repair shops, all these great associations and everything, we're not pushing the knowledge of independent repair shops you know, yep. and I want you to think about this: um, if every independent repair shop in the United States, everyone gave a hundred dollars, what kind of marketing campaign could we give for the independent repair shops and the value they provide Amen. to the shops? Amen. Right?
0: Yep. Yep.
2: But you know, I liken this to back when eggs got the bad rap. And yeah. the egg board started this egg campaign, right? Yeah. And the beef board and the milk board.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And, and you know, my little soapbox recently is: I went to um, Atlanta, Georgia, with Skills USA group,
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
2: and there's about thirty-five thousand skilled workers there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, lots of industries, but automotive was part of this: auto refinishing, auto repair. That contest, right. right? Do you know who was represented there?
1: the dealerships
2: the only thing the dealerships did the manufacturers did was they donated 25 cars for some of the testing and contest and stuff Mm -hmm. right in california they they used the bmw training center they did all the contests there but there were no independent associations represented at this event Hmm. none
0: it's crazy
2: in california we the local state Organization, we had, CCA. Or well, th- this is the Skills.
0: Oh, okay. Got group,
2: on. so they have regionals, they right. have states, and then the winners of state go to national.
0: Right, correct. Okay?
2: So at the state level, I, I sit on the board of directors for Skills California. Okay. And it was the first year since the pandemic we were able to do this, so I went to this event. We had five thousand skilled workers, mm-hmm. and I was the only automotive person in the building. That's great. Right, the police were there, the army was there, the navy was there, the coast guard was there, the carpenters union was there, the electrical union was there. So where are these these kids getting pushed to? This is our missing group of people that come into our force. They start deciding on a career path in junior high school, and we're not there. We are too independent.
0: Do you, you know um, you know who Dave Garrison is?
2: Uh, the name's familiar, but I don't know him.
0: Dave Garrison is a uh, C-suite coach, and I met him on a flight a while back. And so uh, really interesting because some of the things um, that Dave talks about, he, you know, he, he doesn't work with, with uh, repair shops, right? He works with, I think he's got probably 50 to 60 Fortune 500 C-suites that he coaches. And he said, you know, he said, what I teach, what, what I'm here to do is to keep them grounded in the cultures of the company as he said anybody can go up there and make decisions that make lots of money but it can erode the culture of the company it can change what the culture of the company is it's not just about improving and, and I've, I've got a white paper i'll show you he sent me it's just amazing but it's hand drawn right and he explains that that you can go up and you can go up and eventually you can go back down the other side right and so one of the things that he brought up in this flight, because he explains this on a napkin, and I've still got it, it's an American Airlines napkin. He's writing this out and he says, you know, the, the deciding factor is the compelling purpose. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, every organization has to have a compelling purpose. And he said, you said it. And he's whether you know it or not, you've set the compelling purpose. And it makes me think about these automotive organizations. What is our compelling purpose? right because if we don't have an aligned compelling purpose what is it we're trying to accomplish and that's my thing when i look at all these organizations i'm a part of and i work with what is our compelling purpose is it to get members is it to is it to hold shows or is it to improve our industry
2: that's my big soapbox is if everybody from the shop owner to the president of Napa, had one thought and one thought only, and that was to improve the aftermarket repair industry, we'd be much better off. I agree. We're we're too many little fiefdoms, too many little personal interest things. You know, and and for as long as I can remember, my goal has always been to help the industry. That's why I do what I do. I want to help the industry. And it's sometimes one shop at a time, right? I want to help the industry. That's my driving factor. I stopped worrying about making money. I stopped chasing the dollar because that's what put me in the hospital and caused me to have a stroke, right? Right. And I I decided in the hospital, I'm just going to do what's right for the industry. I'm going to go where I'm needed. And everything's been taken care of for me. I've made money. money. I'm happier. I think the industry's gotten a little bit better because of what little bit I can contribute. I agree. But we need the whole industry thinking that way. It's summed up like this, where there was an event in Southern California and a shop owner invited me to it. It was a group of kids showing up for a car show or something. And he goes, I'm gonna go participate in that because I'm gonna look for employees. And I said, wrong reason to go. You need to go with the idea of bringing these people into the industry and organically you'll find employees. Mm-hmm. Right. But your purpose to go is to hire somebody? You're failing the industry, my personal opinion. Yeah. You know? And we we need our industry to be bringing youth into us. Yeah. You know because the same people that you're looking for and David, you're looking for to work in your shop are the same people that NASA's looking for and Boeing, you yeah. And they have benefits and they pay well and they don't get dirty, and they don't require $100,000 worth of tools. Did yep. you know that NASA has a high school mentorship program? No, I did not. How many mentorship programs do we have? Not many. But NASA, you, in high school, you can go to work for NASA. That's crazy. That's because crazy. they see the advantage. And don't you think they're, they're looking for people who are good with their hands and think, critical thinking? Yeah. You know? Look at what
0: exactly, exactly what we're looking for.
2: Yeah, look at the power of the STEM programs. And we're not represented in the STEM programs typically.
1: Right. Blame you. You blame me.
2: <laughs> well, if we're gonna play somebody, let's just blame Lucas, right? Yeah, Sounds like a plan. Well,
0: <laughs> Mayla Newton, thank you for sitting down chatting with us.
2: Sorry, this is probably gonna be way too long, but I appreciate you guys being here and I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and as always if there's anything I could do to help. I'm here.
0: Yes, sir. How can they get in touch with you?
2: Uh, the easiest way is to email me because okay. I'm never in my office. Uh, it's mailin, M-A-Y-L-A-N at E-S-I seminars.com.
0: Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much. sir. Thank
1: you guys. Appreciate all you do. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player and don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.